Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturday, a very full edition of Seattle Sports Saturday. Two hours with you from 11 to 1 right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. We've got CX minicamp in the rear view. We now enter into that dead period of the NFL offseason between minicamp and training camp. So we've got about a month to go before the guys reconvene at VMAC. In the meanwhile, the Mariners putting together a very solid week, only dropping one game in that time frame there, Taylor. Uh, but the Seahawks, they're they're all dispersed across the country now, and we're just uh, waiting for things to happen on that front, whether it be with Jamal Adams, Dwayne Brown, maybe K.J. Wright, who knows. Hopefully there's some updates on those guys. But uh, lots to get to in this one, and, I mean, we're, we're just playing the waiting game now. Yeah, and this is usually what happens, like, right after the mandatory minicamp ends. Coaches sort of hate this period. The, the players aren't there. They can't, they can't watch over them and see what happens. A lot of players get in trouble in this period. So, uh, And then also a lot of deals need to be get be getting done before the start of the season and the rosters need to be taking shape before you hit training camp. So a lot of news both on the field and off the field in this time period. So uh, yeah, and then not to mention it's baseball season, Curtis. We still got a team playing. We still got some some young players figuring out who they are and this young team figuring out who they are. And oh yeah, now we're 32 days away from the 32nd NHL team getting some of those uh, expansion players on their roster. Yeah, another thing we're waiting, we're counting down towards is that NHL expansion draft and the NHL entry draft uh, as the Kraken seem to be zeroing in on maybe a candidate here for their head coaching vacancy. It's all becoming more and more real. I think the first step of the process to me where it was like, oh, this is real real was the NHL draft lottery a couple weeks ago. It's like, oh man, we've actually got something to play for. We got something to, to, to look out for here. Uh, and now hopefully over the next couple of weeks, we're going to start to see this organization really take shape. Uh, plenty to get to. If you want to join in on the conversation at all this morning or this later on this afternoon, the Mac and Jack's text line is there for you. 710-710 is the number if you want to hit us with a text. You can also follow us on Twitter at Taylor Jacobs and at a kid from Kent if you want to hit us up there. But we've still we've got plenty to get to, so let's waste no time. Let's get into this hour's big three. Number one. Well, we mentioned it. The Seattle Seahawks mandatory minicamp is done. The Seahawks offseason program is officially over. The next time the team will be together in an official manner will be training camp on July 27th. So still no sign of K.J. Wright or a deal that he may be coming back to the Seahawks team. Still no sign of Jamal Adams. We we know he had the excuse from the activities this past week, but still wants that new contract. And now we know Dwayne Brown wants a contract to continue playing football as well. So what will the contract situations be? We'll put those aside for a moment. Focus on what we actually did see in the mandatory minicamp, Shane Waldron's new offensive ideas taking root. And this team starting to garner uh, a lot of praise from its players about the offensive scheme. And the minicamp uh, also had some of those offensive players do, uh, 
doing so well, but the defensive standout of the week was Daryl Taylor. Continues to, to impress and hopefully helps solidify that linebacker depth and maybe starting to show some of the rewards of some of those draft picks from years before. Number two. Well, not too shabby of a week for the Mariners in the win-loss column, only dropping just one game. That would be the series finale against Minnesota on Wednesday night. They would get their best performance of Logan Gilbert's young career on Sunday against Cleveland in that series finale. They blew out the Twins on Tuesday with help from Chris Flexen's best-ever start. They also got help in that series from newly acquired Jake Bowers, who had a go-ahead home run to give the Mariners a win in that series opener. Jake Bowers only acquired for cash considerations. I think he's been more than worth it to this point. But the high point of the week, that would have to be Kyle Seager's pinch hit walk-off single on Thursday to cap a comeback from down 5-2 to beat the defending AL champion Rays. Unfortunately, though, the injury bug still lingering around the club. Justin Dunn removed from his start on Thursday night after just two innings of work. He's been placed back on the 10-day injured list, and on Friday, the Mariners made the decision to place Kyle Lewis on the 60-day IL as he recovers from surgery to repair a torn meniscus in his right knee, the knee that has been bothersome for him since the end of spring training. Mariners with a shot at a series win tonight against Tampa Bay. Pre-game is at 6 p.m. First pitch at 7:10 right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Number three. Well, we mentioned it. We are officially 32 days away from the 32nd NHL team getting to expand and the Seattle Kraken having their expansion draft. There are still some moves to be made. And the first player to be selected before the first player is selected in that special draft. Our very own Gras father wrote an article on 710sports.com about why he thinks the first Seattle Kraken coach should be John Totorella. But former Coyotes head coach Rick Tockett, Tockett, um, I'm butchering it anyways, uh, he will have a third interview with the Kraken, so it might remain just wishful thinking for our old friend, the Graz. And with the number two pick in the NHL entry draft, we're all but assured Michigan defenseman Owen Power will go number one to the Sabres. So who will the Kraken select at number two? A lot to talk about there. Expansion draft set for July 21st, the NFL entry draft 23rd through the 24th. We'll dive into that more as we get closer to those two dates and the hockey team gets real. It gets very real. It's starting to get very real around here. That is this hour's big three. Some honorable mentions, real good news if you're hoping to get out to T-Mobile Park this summer. Uh, they will open to full capacity beginning next homestand, which starts on July 2nd against the Texas Rangers. That first night back, there's going to be a fireworks night. So uh, full capacity on July 2nd. They've been operating, I believe, at three-quarters capacity right now. Um, so they're going to open up the rest of the ballpark, uh, open up all sorts of areas and concessions that had previously been rubbed off. So a lot of fun to be had at T-Mobile Park this summer. And then some honorable mention as well in the NBA. It's not, you know, a Seattle team per se. They will be having their games broadcast on Seattle TV this upcoming season. And a very familiar voice will be rejoining that broadcast. Kevin Calabro, longtime voice of the Sonics, one-time voice of the Blazers, returns to his post as voice of the Blazers. He'll uh, resume that position at the start of next season. Uh, he took this final, or he took this last season off uh, 
due to COVID concerns, he took it off, uh, I believe, at the start of the bubble down in Orlando and has since rejoined the organization. And so we'll be getting to hear Kevin Calabro on a mostly nightly basis on Root Sports coming up in the fall. So that's exciting for basketball fans here in town. It would be more exciting if it was Sonics basketball he was calling, but a familiar voice nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, anytime you get to hear the sweet, sweet sounds of Kevin Calabro, you get on your horse and you ride, Curtis. <laughs> get on the magic carpet and ride as well. Uh, that yeah. is uh, some honorable mentions for this hour. Uh, but, Taylor, you mentioned Seahawks minicamp there. A lot of deals potentially getting done or, or hopefully working towards getting done uh, over the next couple of weeks. We've got Jamal Adams. Bob Condota had a, a column in the Seattle Times, I believe it was last night or today, uh, where he kind of outlined his expectations for that, uh, saying that he kind of expects it to be done sooner rather than later. So that's good news on that front. I think we're all kind of taken by surprise by the Dwayne Brown uh I guess not demand so much, but the 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 hope that they can get a deal done with him. Uh, I think it's good news for the Seahawks offensive line, not just in this season, but in years down the future, because it shows that Dwayne Brown isn't ready to really hang him up yet, even though he's 36 years old. Uh, so I guess good news, even though it, we haven't really seen it get paid off yet. But good news uh, for the Seahawks offensive line, because Dwayne Brown, that's a piece you really can't replace at least not right away yeah no but again having that left tackle having a little bit more of that reassurance that he'll be here and he can hopefully be that sort of linchpin to this offensive line to help them be good right and and that's sort of what 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 you're hoping to see there so for Dwayne Brown uh he's getting up there you you can only give him so many years in the contract but boy if he's playing and he's healthy there's there's no one really better right now to help protect Russell Wilson and help lead the some of those young offensive linemen to uh to, to become NFL pros and also coming up in this next two hours here on Seattle Sports Saturday, we will take a look at those contracts, the Jamal Adams, the Dwayne Brown, even K.J. Wright, who is not in camp and really hasn't given any sort of inclination as to where he might be leaning as we get closer and closer to training camp. We'll look at some of the most important contracts on the books right now for the Seahawks and maybe give a ranking to those coming up. And also, last night's ace, Yusei Kikuchi, looking real good over the course of the season's first half here. What should the Mariners do with him going forward as he's got a big, big decision to make? The Mariners have a big, big decision to make on his future whether or not they pick up that four-year team option this offseason. But before we get into all of that, coming up next, was fixing the Seahawks' offense as simple as adding Shane Waldron? We heard a lot of sound this week from Seahawks minicamp, maybe suggesting that that might have been the case. We'll take a look next here on Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. If you blinked, you missed Seahawks minicamp. That came and went this week. A three-day affair over at Seahawks headquarters as 
most of the guys were in town. Obviously, Jamal Adams, the big absence, uh, but he got an excused absence as he was dealing with a personal matter. Uh, no word on what that may have been or, or whatever, but uh, he was not in town, but that doesn't mean that everything was was crawling to a halt. No, no, no. There was still plenty to be seen and heard from the Seahawks this week. And Taylor, I don't know about you, but one thing that really stuck out to me was uh, kind of consistently heard from a lot of people on the offense this week, talking about Shane Waldron and just the glowing reviews, I think, to, to start off here of his implementation of his offense. We heard it from Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett. We heard it from Pete Carroll. I mean, from what we've heard this week, it sounds like the Seahawks should be scoring a touchdown every time they touch the ball, right? Like, like that's a, a fair expectation. Yeah, I think it's it's similar to the old Oregon teams of yesteryear and how they would run a million plays in 30 seconds and you would just you would be out of breath by the time they even got into the end zone and that's what we're we're supposed to be seeing according to the media and to everything else but uh in all seriousness it is nice to hear that this team is playing with a little bit more tempo using some of those pieces to create space create those short gains you know use those the the middle of the field the short slants having Gerald Everett there a new tight end who can provide a different little bit of a a look for this team as a pass catcher. So it's been refreshing to hear some of these uh, media members who now have the ability to go and watch the mini camp and and what they've been reporting back to us is it's just been all glowing reviews for this offense. So yeah, it's, it it seems like everything that was uh, in uh, trouble months ago. And as we've sat on here debating whether or not this offense was doing enough or this team was doing enough to make Russell Wilson happy, it seems like all is well on, on, on Renton's waters down there by the VMAC. (laughs) Well, when I look at the Seahawks offense last year, I think there was a, a few issues that plagued it, especially in the season second half. And, I, I still wonder if Shane Waldron is the 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 instant cure to all of these things, or if these issues are going to be needing some ironing out as the season goes along. Because I I, I pointed out the quarterback protection last year that was you know partially Russell Wilson's fault, partially the offensive line's fault. There's never a, a, a definitive answer to that uh, problem, but we've at least pinpointed it. Also the inconsistent run game, obviously the injuries to Chris Carson and Rashad Penny last year did not help. And then Rashad Penny now missed mini camp. He was another guy who was not in attendance. So hard to get him some reps when he's not there. Uh, inability to adjust mid season. I think that was something too, that plagued the offense where you saw teams having trouble against Seattle's offense in the first half, but then the second half of the season, they really clamped down and were able to contain them. And then also lack of tight end production. I mean, my qualms with Greg Olson, very well known around these parts. Yes. Uh, but that's beside the point here. I mean, there were other guys too. Will Disley did not have the season we kind of anticipated him to have. Colby Parkinson was hurt for a lot of it. Uh, Luke Wilson was in and out of the lineup to the point where they cut him at, at a couple of times during the season. So uh, there were, to me, those are four issues that really stood out to me. 
do you think those can be worked out by week one, or is this going to be an offense that might need some time in order to make sure that everybody's on the same page? I mean, the simple answer is, of course, I think they need time. But to me, I think they did address these four things, right? Protecting the QB, going out and making trades for some players, adding to the offensive line there. Inconsistent run game. You bring back Chris Carson, your most consistent running back. Yeah, Penny's hurt again, but you're hoping Carson can maintain this season. And then quickly, I'll just jump to the lack of tight end production. I mentioned it before, having Gerald Everett, having a, a sure thing there as a pass catcher to help out with Will Disley. You can run two tight end sets with DK. I mean, then you're talking about essentially three tight ends basically there. But I think the inability to adjust, that's where we're going to really learn about Shane Waldron and this team and, and what he can do with Russell Wilson because they they just couldn't make the changes last year for whatever reason. If, if it was coaching, if it was the players, we don't know and we'll never know. So now we have to just focus on this upcoming season. And to me, if Shane Waldron's going to have that impact impact on this offense it's going to be right there with the adjustments in game if they're given you know space to the tight ends in the middle use it if they're giving you over the top to tyler lockett use it if they're they're playing back and they're playing a bunch of dime you know start running the ball down their throat with chris carson so i i think we're going to see a little bit more of that adjustment that one may take a little bit more time, like the other three may be adjusted more so on week one. But I think that uh, inability will be also be the focus of what everyone is on on this season. But Curtis, what do you think? Where, do you think they addressed those four things enough this offseason? I think they did the best they could at addressing them. Protecting the quarterback, the trade for Gabe Jackson. I mean, they gave up a draft pick when they had very few draft picks to – uh, when they've had very few draft picks to, to work with in that portion of the offseason. Uh, the run game, I don't know if they've necessarily addressed it. They did re-sign Chris Carson, but who else do they have behind him? I, I mean, they're banking on Rashad Penny, but remains to be seen. Inability to adjust midseason. We're hearing that you know Shane Waldron's offense allows for a lot of freedom with these guys and, and there's some creativity in a lot of aspects of it. So I think they have, or we'll have to wait until the mid season to actually see whether or not that's actually been taken care of and lack of tight end production. Pete Carroll mentioned it this week, his breakout candidate for the 2021 season above everybody else on the roster. This one guy stood out to him and that's new tight end Gerald Everett coming over from the Rams who has history in Waldron's offense. Uh, I think they have done the best that they could to address these issues. You just got to kind of, you know, shove them out of the nest, the baby bird, as it were, and, and watch them, you know, either fly or, or come back to the nest. But, Taylor, when you look at how Seattle's offense can take that next step, can get to the next level, who to you is the most important person really in the organization, whether it be Pete or, or Russ or Waldron or, or anybody, really, who is the most important the Seahawks have if they want to maximize the offense's potential? I think it's Chris Carson. I, I think everything comes back to the run game and this team runs to set up the pass, and that's a great mentality to have, but... 
if Chris Carson's going and he's succeeding and this offensive line is getting off and they're reestablishing that line of scrimmage a few yards down the field and Chris Carson's, you know, averaging four plus yards per carry and they're just getting yards after yards after yards. I think that sets so much up for this offense. It sets up Russell for the play action. It sets up the the DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett short or bombs. It sets up the short passes to Gerald Everett, who's been impressing everyone. So you have all these levels of threats. But to me, having Chris Carson healthy, establishing this run, he, to me, is this most important part. We know what we're going to get from Russell Wilson. You're going to get some of the top QB play in the league. We have two of the better receivers here in town that you get to watch and see. So with DK and Tyler, you know what you have there. Gerald Everett impressing everyone. So to me, making sure this run game is solid starts with Chris Carson. That's my pick for, for the most important. What about you? That's an interesting one because I think Carson is one of the least talked about players on this team right now because there's just not – we kind of feel like the book is almost written on him and he's entering into his prime years. He's got that second contract. I mean, it, technically this could end up being another contract year for him because there's no guarantees after year one. So maybe he does have another opportunity to play in a contract year, and and maybe there's a little added motivation for him. If he can piece together 16 games in a season, which none of us have ever seen him do, I mean, that gives a whole a whole nother aspect to this offense, you know, just the consistency of having a, a sturdy ball carrier out there, somebody that can just – get you 20 carries a game. I mean, we haven't seen that since the best days of Marshawn Lynch. And uh, I mean, I would love to see somebody out there, but to me, I mean, it's not really going out on a limb here saying this for the most important person the Seahawks have, if they want to maximize this offense's potential, it's Russell Wilson and it's him getting the ball out quickly. Brock Heward made the point in blue 42 this week that so many of his interceptions in his career have come on in the quick game whether it be slants, whether it be, uh, you know, just really short throws. It's guys jumping routes and picking them off and going the other way for six. And we saw that in the playoff game where the Seahawks ran the same play twice. Uh, The Rams jumped the route, and that was pretty much the ball game after that. If Russ can get the ball out quickly, avoid taking sacks, and just keeping the defense honest and having to respect that aspect of of the Seahawks offense, I mean, that is going to give this offense a layer that we haven't seen in a long time. And and, and I think that is going to be a very important thing for the Seahawks offense, especially if they're going to play a Rams style on offense where you're going to try and, you know, work sort of east-west instead of north-south and and get the defense out of position, uh, I think that's going to be a huge, huge thing for this offense to to really hone in on and and to really uh, sort of master heading into the 2020 season. Yeah, I'm excited to see because, again, we've talked about it before. Shane Waldron didn't invent new routes. There aren't new plays or anything like that happening. So it's all about how you exploit, you know, different packages, using that space, using the movement, using what you can before a play to help you as as best you can. So it, it'll be interesting to see uh, 
all of these pieces coming together in this offseason. We saw a little bit of this mandatory mini camp. We got a preview. It was very vanilla, right? It's just vanilla ice cream. But hey, look, it's summertime. Ice cream's great. And that means that there's more ice cream to come later on, especially at the end of July. So I'm excited about it and to be talking about you know, what this offense may look like and the potential after hearing everyone, all these, you know, people who watch this team for a living gloating about how exciting it is to see this tempo in this offense. As a Seahawk fan, you got to be chomping at the bit to, to hopefully get up, up on the berm and see some of those things in person. Coming up in this hour, we're talking contracts, whether it be Mariners or Seahawks. For the Mariners, you've got one with the guy who was on the mound last night looking so, so good. That'd be Yusei Kikuchi. What do you do with him? But up next, we rank the importance of the contracts that are coming up on the books for the Seahawks or ones that we desperately need them to address. That's coming up right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Half hour from now, we will get you a big three. And we'll also get you a scoreboard of all that's going on in sports right now. There is plenty to get to, uh, but yeah, there we are here on Seattle Sports Saturday. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. Taylor, you look at the important contracts on the books for the Seahawks. I think we've kind of spotlighted a handful here or or contracts that we would like for there to be a resolution to uh, over the next couple of weeks once training camp starts. We've got Jamal Adams, Dwayne Brown. There's K.J. Wright, who remains a free agent. And I'm also going to add D.K. Metcalf, and I don't think that's going to get done until after this season uh, because it'll have been his third year. You can't really negotiate until after your third year is completed, but that's going to be a huge one coming up in the 2022 season. Of those four contracts, which of those do you think is the most important? Which one do you think they can put on the back burner or at least not have to really entertain for a while? Yeah, I mean, look, the DK one, I, I think if this we were having this conversation, you take these three, you put them in next year. DK might be number one in, in keeping and just his star power and what he's going to mean to this organization. Kids and young receivers around the country are going to want to play like DK Metcalf and the way he plays and how physical he is and, and what a specimen he does in everything else, right? I mean, track star, the list goes on. Nest Quick, that might be my favorite thing about him is that he has the Nest Quick sponsorship. But so we'll we'll put unfortunately DK there just for now, just because again. Next year is really when that contract renegotiation is going to start. And I think they will sign him. I think he'll get a monster deal. And I think that makes, again, these three deals that we're talking about here with Jamal, Dwayne, and KJ, even that much more important, knowing what the salary cap is going to look like down the line. But to me, um, I'm going to put KJ right there too. Unfortunately, between Dwayne and Jamal, those two guys are are two of the four highest paid on your roster. So you have to address them. And I know I'm going chalk here, but in the end, I think I'm going to take Jamal Adams, number one, and getting his deal done. You gave up all those assets to to acquire him and his services. He wants to be here long-term. You've heard him numerous times. He's been on... the Ben Baller podcast talking about how he wants to stay in Seattle and this is a special place. So 
the importance of getting that deal done, having that leader in the back, as we've seen these Seahawks defenses thrive with, to me, it's the cliche answer. I'm sure a majority of the people would say it, but to me, it's Jamal Adams. I agree with you that it is Jamal Adams, but I want to get to KJ right here because to me, I'm so confused as to why the Seahawks are okay with letting him walk because KJ Wright had probably the best season of his career a year ago. He's what only 31, 32 years old. Like, wouldn't you want to surround your guys with the best talent available? And I'm not necessarily sure the Seahawks linebacking core is the best that it can possibly be without KJ Wright in the lineup. And you know, maybe what I'm saying goes against everything that, you know, you, you think about in an NFL front office, you want to get out, you don't want to pay for past performance. You want to pay for future performance and and performance in this season. And maybe you run the risk of paying for past performance with KJ, Wright. And I mean, I would imagine his number has had to have gone down considering that we're on June 19th and he is still not signed with anybody after having the great season that he had. I, it just makes no sense to me that the Seahawks wouldn't even entertain bringing him back, and maybe they have. But, I, I mean, I from what we have heard, there really hasn't been an offer made to him by the Seahawks. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know if that who's putting that information out there. Maybe that's the, the KJ side, and they're just trying to get the negotiations ramped up or media – Get get you know Joe Schmageggies like you and I talking about it here on a Saturday uh, pre afternoon. So um, to me, I you can't really put a price on what KJ did here in his time in in before this contract expired and what he was Mister Seahawk. You know what I mean? He was like a Nate McMillan here in this city and what he meant to this the town beyond the football field and what he did in the community and does in the community. You you can't even put a price on that. So I would love to pay him for all of those things as well, but you're right, Curtis, he probably wants that value, you know, somewhere around $7 million. Um, and, and after the season he had last year, he probably deserves a number closer to what he's asking for, but clearly, not only the Seahawks, but the rest of the NFL isn't necessarily buying that number or else he would have been signed. And that's the most unfortunate part. And I'm hoping that it works out in Seattle's favor and that they can sign him back on a team-friendly deal. But uh, I also want KJ to go out and get paid because he deserves it and he earned it. And unfortunately, it might not be with the Seattle team. If the price doesn't change from his perspective and from Seattle's perspective, unfortunately. Yeah, and I I think you look at that situation with the Seahawks, I don't necessarily think they're worrying about it right now. I think if KJ comes to them and says, hey, I'm willing to meet you at this price point, then I think the Seahawks will be like, okay, now let's talk because clearly his market hasn't developed the way I think he thought it would. And I don't think he ever thought he was going to be one of the first wave free agents because when you're a 31-year-old linebacker, you're not going to risk losing one of the compensatory round picks for somebody like that unless you feel as though that is the one piece keeping you from being a Super Bowl team. But if you're the Seahawks, re-signing somebody like that, you don't have to worry about the compensatory picks at all. Like that, you just keep your guys and 
it, it's it's really confounding just kind of seeing why they would move on from him when everything kind of points to it being a no-brainer to bring him back. But you look at the other contracts that we've we've spotlighted here, Taylor, Jamal Adams, uh, we've we both are in agreement that that is the most important deal. I'm kind of surprised that it has gone on as long as it has, especially because of the price tag that they gave up for him last year. When you give up two first-rounders, I'm kind of stunned that they didn't even have a contract extension to hand him as soon as he put on a Seahawks jersey. Yeah, and I mean, they wanted him to come back from his injury and see he was the same player. So I understand not right off the jump doing it. But yeah, Curtis, I'm going to side with you here as far as the past month or so in the past few weeks. Why was there really no movement on this contract or or that we've heard of, right? That, that, that there really hasn't been any movement on this contract. So he is so important. And I think one thing maybe even to keep in mind in this whole scenario uh, is if they are to go down this list and sign Jamal Adams and, you know, extend him, extend Dwayne Brown, if they can shift some of that money down to later years, backfill that contract, you might be able to sign KJ on that short term. And with the cal, uh, <laughs> the salary cap space that they have right now, it's a little bit tight and they might not be able to do it, but by resigning and extending some of those players, you might open up a little bit of that. Sal- you, you saw it with Michael Dixon. He opened up some of that salary cap by extending him. So if they can do step one and two, like we've been talking about, whether you have Dwayne Brown or Jamal Adams, one or two, that's your own personal opinion, but maybe one and two sets up number three and even sets up number four. Like we were talking about DK Metcalf and you can really get him on a a league f- uh, appropriate deal um I, I think then you might have a little bit more reasoning about okay why they've been waiting so long to see where the kj Wright pieces fall how they need to write the contracts for a jamal adams or Dwayne brown to maybe sign a guy like kj back yeah and i, I think you look at the other guys on the roster we've kind of pinpointed Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson as the two most likely candidates for a contract restructure at some point. Neither one of them have done so to this point in the offseason. If they do that, I mean, obviously that gives the Seahawks a lot more wiggle room in the 2021 season to maybe go out and add a piece in training camp, which is something that the Seahawks have routinely done in Pete and John's tenure here is whether it be through a trade or whether it be, you know, picking up somebody off the street, uh, there is always going to be ways for the Seahawks to add just because they're this close against the salary cap doesn't mean that there are ways that they can't, you know, wiggle around money and to, you know, give themselves a little bit more flexibility. There's always that possibility. And we've talked a little bit, we haven't talked at length about DK Metcalf here, but every move you make in 2021 has to be made with the thought of DK Metcalf's contracts coming down the pipe here. We can't get too out of pocket here with the contracts we're dishing out because DK is going to want, I would say, well within the neighborhood of $20 million a year. Yeah, yeah. The Brinks truck will be backing up for that contract 100%, Curtis. And I agree with you that all of these deals, yes, they're thinking about Super Bowls in their window, but DK Metcalf is a 
cornerstone piece of a franchise and you can't let a guy like that walk um just what he'll mean to this fan base every single year he wears a seahawk uniform and what he's meant so far and the records he's he's setting and what the potential looks like in his career. So, I mean, you nailed it, Curtis. All these deals are thinking about that again, that fourth, he may be fourth right now on the list, but of all time importance, he might be number one on who they need to keep for years and years and years to come. Coming up in Seattle Sports Saturday, we've got some sticky situation in Major League Baseball. We're going to get to that in the second hour, but before we get there, the Mariners with a contract situation to watch out for here. You say Kikuchi, what do they do with him? Four years, that's a lot of years, but has his performance justified them picking up that team option, especially after last night's gem that he tossed? We'll talk that next year on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Been a fun week at the ballpark for the Mariners taking two of three from the Twins, taking two, the first two games against the Tampa Bay Rays. And we've seen a lot of great pitching from multiple guys out there. Logan Gilbert on Sunday against Cleveland. Chris Flexen going eight strong against Minnesota. And then last night, Yusei Kikuchi coming after the bullpen day. It was vitally important that he go deep in last night's game. And he definitely did that. Uh, and it's been a bunch of starts in a row now for Yusei Kikuchi where he has looked like the staff ace. He has looked like the guy that the Mariners got from Japan, brought him over here, and, and gave him that big contract to start out of, to start off his Major League Baseball career. And right now he is earning that and, and, and then some. And, Taylor, it really begs the question, what do the Mariners do next year with Yusei? And we, uh, 2022 has kind of been this jumping off point for a lot of people saying like, hey, the Mariners next season better spend. They better surround this young core of players with veterans that are, are proven, that are, are you know worth the money. I would say through the season's first couple of months here, Taylor, Yusei Kikuchi has been worth – everything that they have paid him already, and then you look at that potential team option, it could end up being pretty affordable if they do, in fact, pick it up. Yeah, I I think it's coming to a point where it would be bad business to let a guy like this walk in a deal like four years, 66 million, that team option. I think it's a, a steal, and you look at all the prospects coming up and and the pitchers they have up here now, and you're anticipating again, like you said, Curtis, that they're going to make some moves, going to make some signings. To have a guy in the rotation, like you say, that you can lean on, that you can rely on after a, a bullpen day t- to go out there and pitch deep, that you can lean on to not be the number one ace, but still go out there and get you some quality innings pitched. So, and you have all these young guys coming up who are going to be cheap, who are going to be inexpensive for the the next few seasons. So to me, it feels like great a great, great deal to get that signed and done, especially after the way he's been playing, because they're going to need to to make that big splash elsewhere. And getting these solid performers for good deals will help you go out and overpay potentially for a superstar and lure them here to the Pacific Northwest. 
Yeah, I think one thing that really makes sense in extending, you say, in, in picking up that team option for the next four seasons at $66 million is his age. He just turned 30 years old yesterday. He'll only be, what, 34, 35 years old by the time this team option would end. We're not talking about somebody that's going to be 40 years old. You know, you're you're sort of in that that space, that gray area of a Major League Baseball career where it's like, yeah, he's kind of teetering, but we're kind of expecting him to fall off a cliff. No, he's entering, or he's I would say he's well within his prime seasons, and a baseball player's prime tends to start to slip around you know, 34, 35, 36 years old, where you'd be getting, you say, I think at a very discounted rate over the next four seasons. And, I mean, let's say he improves upon what he's done. And he's improved every year he's been in the big leagues. This is year three. Last year, I know his numbers didn't quite look like it at the end of the year. He had an ERA still around five. But, but you know, with the sabermetrics, however it is you want to look at those, they spoke to a much better pitcher than just what the traditional stats had said. Obviously, he struggled in his first year, but he has made considerable strides each and every year, and I don't think there's any way that those stop next year. I think you say somebody that really wants to you know, just be the best pitcher he can be. I mean, just looking at him this season, there is so much confidence that is flowing from him. Uh, we saw it on that strikeout last night where he kind of – I don't know if he meant to wave goodbye to – I forget who it was that he struck <laughs> out, but it definitely looked like he was you know, kind of talking some trash on his way uh, off the mound there. So shout-out to Yusei for that. But we, we talk a lot about where this rebuild is. If the Mariners want to take it to the next step – the guys who you know are superstar players, you say, and, and I would also lump Mitch Hanniger in that group. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't want them on this team in 2022. Yeah, and like you said, Curtis, he's grown so much and gone through the process to have someone there for all these young guys. The the Logan Gilbert's there, but he can look up to him and ask him. The Hancocks, the George Kirby's of the future of this organization. For them to come up and say, okay, you say was here. He had to work some things out. He didn't get off to the most amazing start to his career, but he worked through a lot of it. He hit, you know, he was hitting the, I don't want to say weight room, but he was hitting the, the field. He was getting those reps in. And now you've seen that he's learning, learning and growing so much that. I don't ever want to turn a player like that away. And, and his role, yes, I don't think he'll be a superstar. I don't think he'll be the ace of this rotation. But again, having those role players and having them know what their role is and, and play to their baseball card, sometimes that's even more valuable than going out and just having that one superstar. The consistency, knowing what you're going to get when he takes the mound, we're starting to see that more and more. And that consistency and and what we get from his stuff on the, on each outing seems to be more and more consistent. So as a Mariners fan, you want players like that and understand that yes, he's going to be the back end of the rotation, but paying again that 4 years 66 million dollars seems like a lot of money, but that's that's the going rate for that quality. Yeah, and if you're the Mariners front office speaking from their perspective, if you do decline that team option, it converts into a one-year player option that you say then can decide whether or not he wants to return on a one-year deal with the Mariners. 
I would um, I would wager, and I think this would be a pretty safe wager based off the season that he has had. He would gladly hit free agency if the Mariners ever did that, and then you run the risk of him a not returning or b returning at a increase over that sixty six million dollar price tag over the four years. You're playing with some serious fire if you do decide to move on from him. That's why I just I think it is almost the biggest no brainer right now of the Mariners off season is to get you say is to exercise that team option because what else out there is going to be better than what you have. You know, it's, I don't really see anybody that is going to be affordable and also better than what you say Kikuchi is right now. Yeah. I'm just trying to pull up a list here. Some of the upcoming free agents but again like you you mentioned it i can scroll down this list and mention every single name right curtis all the all the aces that'll be available the syndicards the kershaws but again those guys and the rate that and the contracts they're going to sign are vastly different numbers than the the number that a yusei kikuchi would get but again you you run that risk if you want to let you say get to that number, it might be higher. You, you might be able to get them lower. And that's, you know, the, the old sort of the risk you run. But to, to me, again, there's no salary cap. The, 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 the hard limit is really just John Stanton's wallet, unfortunately, or fortunately, I've because seen that I in person. Yeah, I've seen it too. And it's, it's a huge wallet, which is also, that's a, <laughs> Another conversation, not just because of the money inside of it. It's just a big wallet. Um, yeah, you 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 want this team to go out and make those types of deals. And if you have an opportunity like this where it's a team option, it's built into the contract, it just feels like you would be doing your organization such a disservice to let it expire and not and not take advantage of it. You bring up the size of wallets. I feel like that's a generational thing where our parents' generation and like John Stanton's generation, they have the thickest wallets. My dad like sits at an angle because his wallet is so big. Whereas me, like I got to keep it thin or else my leg is going to get sore. Like I'm, I don't need a thick wallet. Uh, you know, what, what are you keeping in there? I don't know. And they also used to wear pants that were like way baggier. So they had room to like haul around <laughs> these things. Unfortunately, like jeans just keep getting tighter and tighter. And it's just like, man, I, I, I'm showing my wallet right now to Curtis. It's like the thinnest little thing of all time. I just need something <laughs> to fit into my pockets. And maybe, maybe it's a fashion thing. Maybe you just need to bring back like zoot suits and then maybe it'll be Ooh. cool to have big wallets again. Yeah, Zoot Zoot Riot. I'm I'm all about yeah. that. Yeah, bring back the big pants, the Jinko jeans, all of it. Yeah. Well, Text just, in 710710. How big's your wallet? Let us know. Yeah, because right now uh, we're trying to consolidate as much as possible here. Uh, coming up in the next hour, obviously we start off with a big three, as we do with each hour of this show. We'll take a look at some of the NFL headlines across the National Football League, and then also Major League Baseball's sticky situation. What have they gotten themselves into this time? All up ahead, this is Seattle Sports Saturday.